0: Okay, we'll give it a couple minutes for everybody to come back in the room from dropping their children, well, hopefully not dropping their children, from taking their children to their kids' groups. Um, Just while I have the floor, I have have your attention in your room, near near where you were sitting, um, there'll be a small piece of paper, um, that looks like this. Um, just while we're waiting for parents to come back, I just want to say, um, there's some incredible stuff happening through the Dignify charity right now. And we would love you to be part of the journey. We would love we would love your support, prayerfully, enthusiastically, talent, and financially. Um, so we are having a fundraiser breakfast um, for any of you. You'd be so welcome. And you know where it is, because it's actually downstairs. So Saturday, the 5th of March, the day before we go to two services, we could even remind you on that day, if that helps you, um, to remember. But I just, while people are coming back, just to say, I had a meeting, um, if you don't know about Dignify, we're, ch- we're ha- championing children and young people to have healthy relationships that are free from the harms of porn, and help them defy the social norms of sexual objectification. And we're speaking to everybody and everybody, because children are stakeholders in our community. So this week, I sat um, at a very grand table um, with the board of Watford's Bid, so that's the Business Improvement District, that represents over 400 organisations, introducing them to the Dignified Charter and what it could mean for their businesses. And as I sat there and think, this is amazing that we have this access, this opportunity to key leaders in this amazing town that is called Watford, these, these opportunities are none other than because the Lord is doing something. It's not down to human talent, persuasion, and, you know, my friendly stalking skills, which you have to be careful in my work to call it that. But but this is all down to what God is doing. Anyway, we would love you to be part of it. Please do check your diaries. And if you're willing to pay over the odds for your breakfast... Um, Because it is a tenner for breakfast. You'll have plenty to eat. You won't go away hungry. It's not like here's one piece of bread. Thank you for your money. Um, Although, you know, if you don't want to wait, no, I'm just kidding. There'll be plenty of food, but, you know, we unashamedly want you to be part of it um, because we want to increase our reach. We connected in person with 1,200 or 300 young people in December. We want to treble that at least every month to be able to connect with young people. We need your help. Anyway, are we all back in the room? Are we ready for today's sermon? Do you know what we're talking about? Okay, so we are in this series that um, is looking at Corinthians, and we are journeying through, and you might remember a couple of weeks ago, David introduced the subject of Corinthians and and put the context of Corinth as a town. Um, He introduced it as um, a seaport. There was lots of sea around, and so there was lots of activity around the ports. He introduced it saying about how they were kind of self-made, free-from-slave people, so they had worked their way out of slavery. He missed one phrase, um, that they were sex-obsessed. He didn't quite say that, although he did talk about the prostituted women who were in the temple. Um, Last week, Tim spoke about um, leadership, that there's no contest between leadership, when we actually recognize that Jesus is our leader, not human leaders. It's Jesus first, and spoke all about that. And now today, we're coming up to Corinthians in the first letter, chapter 5. Now, in my title, it's called Paul Condemns Spiritual Pride. The title that was given to me (laughs) to speak about was casual sex. And that is because... In this chapter, sex gets mentioned. So we're going to be talking about sex. Now I've spoken to quite a few people this week and said, oh yes, I'm talking about um, sex in church on Sunday, which they then look at me as, like, oh no, that's not what I mean. I'm talking in church about sex. And it is an important divide. Um, but what we're going to be talking about is what Paul says and why he maybe says it. And then see if It makes any difference to us in our discipleship, in our following Jesus as people today. So this is what we're doing. And in a second, I'm going to read this to you. But first, let's really lean into the context of Corinth and understand this is a letter that was written to people who didn't live in Watford in 2022. This was a letter written to people in Corinth in response to letters and oral communications that they had given to Paul. This was one of a couple of letters that have been captured for us for all time, but we don't have the rest of the dialogue. And this is important that we understand this because there's context that we need to understand before we can extrapolate application. But we can be assured there is application to make because as Timothy writes in his letter all scripture is God inspired or some versions say God breathed. It is useful for the correcting and teaching. It is useful to teach us what we need to know, to tell us when we've done wrong and to help us to become Christ followers. And the fact that it is God breathed means it's got life of God in it, which means it's still living. It's why it's living and dynamic and it's why it still helps us today. Even though we are not the people, this letter was a originally written for so there are some things in this letter that culturally we'll go what and that's okay that's okay because at the time it was completely on point culturally but there are other things that we need to lean into and say hmm that still counts today so this is what we want to lean in are we all good so far marvelous hello at home by the way Um, Okay. Now, one other thing before we read the scripture, it's important to understand that we read through lenses. I don't literally mean, you know, my very focal so I can see you and the word. I mean, we have lenses that all of us approach the word at. I can give you some of the lenses through which I approach the word of God and through which I'm going to approach 1 Corinthians 5. So for example, I am a Christ follower That puts a lens in how I look at the scriptures. But there's loads of other aspects. I'm white. I'm straight. I'm cisgender. I'm married. I'm middle-aged. I'm a woman. I was raised in the West, born in the West, raised in the West. I'm evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal. I've been influenced by the purity culture. And if you're as old as me, you'll know what that is. And as Rachel Gardner says in an excellent book she's written called The Sex Thing, she says, we're living in the hangover of the purity culture. These are all lenses through which I look at this scripture. And it's important to understand your lenses are different. Young people's lenses are different. People from different cultures have different lenses. But yet, the Word of God is for us all. The Word of God was for all Corinthians with all their different lenses and is still relevant to us in 2022. So, 1 Corinthians 5. Let's just jump straight in and read this. Okay, imagine being friends with Paul. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in the spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheap people who worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or who worships idols or is abusive Or is a drunkard, or cheats people, don't even eat with such people. Isn't it my responsibility to judge outside? It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will (laughs) judge, amen. God will judge those on the outside. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. <sighs> no messing with Paul. I tell you. No messing with him. He's like sort it out. Okay, so deep breath. Let's just unpack some of this and let's start at the beginning with the sin that was being referred to. So the sin at the beginning was him going, "I can hardly believe you're doing stuff that even pagans don't do." And there is a man In your church, he's living in sin with his stepmother. So for people who don't necessarily understand stepmother, this would be your father's wife, not your biological mother. So there'd be no blood tie to this woman. There'd be no biological link to this woman. So it's a family relationship. We don't know what's happened to the father. We don't know if the stepmother has consented to this relationship. But we just know the man is being challenged. Personally, I like that. I'll unpack that a bit later. But the man is being challenged. Now, some scholars and people who write about these things suggest that maybe this man was a leader in the church. He had influence. Kind of fits a bit more comfortably because we expect the leaders to be of a higher standard, right? But these people in Corinth, these believers, they would have been grounded in the Torah, in the Old Testament laws. They would have understood the stories of Moses and have inherited teaching that would have put it into a context of the Old Testament laws. And so let's just jump into some of the Old Testament laws. So in Leviticus, there's this really, gosh, it makes for reading that's like... Um, but anyway, in chapter 18 of Leviticus, there's a whole list of forbidden sexual relationships. Honestly, it makes for a good read. Um, so, in chapter 18, I'll read you the, the key verse is verse 8. But I'm just going to read the sort of the on ramp to this. This is what the Corinthian Christians would have been taught in. So, the beginning of 18, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. I am the Lord your God. So do not act like people in Egypt where you used to live." Or like the people of Canaan, where I am taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. You must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey my decrees, for I am the Lord your God. If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord. Then he goes on to list all these sexual relations... I shouldn't smile, but it's a long list. All these sexual relationships that they are not meant to have. Like, it would have been much quicker if you just said who you could have sex with, because that would have, you know, just been a really quick definition. But but he was really, really specific. And in verse 8 of this, it says this, "...do not have any sexual relations with any of your father's wives." this would violate your father. So this was the context in which the Corinthian Christians would have understood. okay, the the issue is because this is against my father. Now we look at that list and I have problems with that list. I have problems with that sentence. Not that I recommend anyone should sleep with their stepmother. I don't have a problem with that. But I have a problem with the fact that, you know, in my 2022 lenses, like this is a problem against the father and he's allowed how many wives? Sorry, what? So in my cultural perspective, I've moved some of this sentence on, but not others. So for me, I understand, okay, this is a relationship that is not meant to be happening. But hey, I have issues with others and I'm quite happy to move that on. Yet no, you can't have multiple wives. And it isn't just about the father. That's important to understand when we're looking at sexuality and when we're looking at our sexual relationships, that some scriptures we happily move on And others, we happily hold fast. And we have to understand the difference between culture and application and what is God-breathed instruction. But the important bit of that Leviticus bit, did you get it, is before the bit where it says, yeah, don't go with your stepmother, was don't be like the people I have removed you from. And don't be like the people you are going to be surrounded by because you don't get to be slaves anymore. You get to be free. You get to be free and distinct. And this, when we get to Corinth, is Paul's heart for these people. Don't be like the Corinthians and definitely don't be worse than them. Don't be like the people around you and right now you're being worse than them. So that's even worse because you get to be distinct. Why? Because you're a Christ follower and the Holy Spirit lives within you. And you can be different. Now, Jesus himself, when he got to reimagine the Old Testament laws, and he got to bring about what he was saying when he was asked, hey, what's the important laws? You know, can we go with our stepmother yet? He wasn't asked that question directly. But he was asked, you know, what about the laws? And in Matthew's gospel in chapter 22, somewhere around 34. The Pharisees are tripping him up and tripping him up and I'll jump to verse 37 if you're following on the screen. This is what Jesus said when he reimagined the law for them. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. What more than the person I want to have sex with? Yes you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Really, I've got to be more passionate about you than the passion I can get over here because this passion is really good. Yes, with all your soul. What, well, everything within me? I'm quite happy to give everything within me to that person over there right now because they're really good. No, love the Lord God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. What, well, I can't even think about them more than I think about you? No, absolutely. Your fantasy imagination world is important to you potentially, but God has to be more important. Jesus has to be more important than that world of fantasy that's going on in your mind that turns you on and introduces a new dimension to your sex life, because Jesus is more than our mind. He is worth all of our thoughts. And Jesus, reimagining relationships and reimagining the commandments that underpin the framework to all of our relationships, was saying, God first, with all your heart, soul, mind. Then he says... Love your neighbor as yourself. Objectification as a cultural norm in our secondary schools would be ended right here if the church fully got behind those two challenges. We can't expect the world to live by this value because they don't value the book. Why should they? Paul is saying, I'm not talking about anybody outside of the church, but people in the church. We could change the world if we just loved the Lord God with all our heart and mind and soul and body and loved other people as ourselves, everything would change. Everything would change. But we're in this place where we have these challenges. So in Corinth, we have this man who is with his stepmother And Paul gets a little bit of a hissy fit going on about the inappropriateness of this and reminds them all about why it's inappropriate. Now, with freedom comes great responsibilities. Grace is not cheap. And we'll talk more about that next week. I'm excited. It's the second half of chapter six, if you want to get your heads up before I get into it. Um, next week, but we um, here we've got this man who is being challenged that he is living in an immoral relationship, and he should be thrown out, and the church should be doing something about this. This is really uncomfortable, isn't it? We have to tip people out. This is where we must understand the context in it, and the fact that it seems this man is not struggling with his relationship; he's not wrestling to submit to the Lord. He's not on a process of discovering the Lord. He is faking followership. He is feigning his discipleship in as much as he's willing to turn up on Sundays or you know, sing the songs and appear. He might even have responsibilities in the community of faith. But his whole discipleship, Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday, is not submitted to the Lord. He's able to create a relationship that is outside of what the Lord said, and he's returning into a slavery-based relationship. Now, let's remember Jesus. It's always good to remember Jesus, right? When people were caught in adultery and dragged before the Lord. Oh, let me rephrase. When a woman was caught in an act with a man, she was dragged before the Lord. He skulked off somewhere. She was dragged before the Lord. The crowds were ready to stone her. The religious people were ready to stone her. And yet the Lord said, no stoning is happening here today. She is loved. She is seen. She's accepted. This is a safe space for her because I am here. Now, one of the reasons I really like the fact that this man is the one who's challenged is because this was a patriarchal system. The woman was a possession. She had very little right, very little voice, very little option to be able to say yes or no. She was somebody's possession. And Jesus was calling through Paul the man into account. Men, we need to call you to account. Not to say that women get away with anything. We don't but there's something here for a wisdom for us today. I read an article recently was challenging the fact that girls in our culture are raised to be sexually responsible for their own acts. They're held account for their own sexual habits, sexual preferences, they're held to account. But in our culture, women and girls are also held to account for the sexual acts of men. I don't understand what you're saying, Helen. Let me explain. She was wearing that. She was asking for it. No. She was wearing that because she wanted to wear that. You took what she didn't agree to you taking. This is a cultural thing. I read um, another um, post recently. I follow various different people on social media. And you know, on social media, you choose who you follow, right? That's the premise of it. Nobody forces you. You've got to follow this person. No, no, you choose who you follow. And this person was um, re sharing somebody else's post who went by your brothers. Um, And in this post, and I'll quote, Dear ladies, there is no reason whatsoever for you to post pictures of yourselves in low cut shirts, bikinis, bra, underwear, or anything similar ever. Not to show your weight loss journey. Not to show your newborn baby. Not to document your birth story. Signed, your brothers. Now, there's a problem with this. The problem is this brother doesn't need to follow any of these women. He's choosing to. But he is deferring his spiritual discipleship to the women as if they are causing him to sin. Now, I understand moderation, and I can go to those scriptures with you. I do understand moderation. I really do. But I also know that Jesus is calling us men and women to be accountable for our own actions and to live free, not enslaved, because his son came for every man, woman, and child. Everybody. Nobody is outside the love of Jesus. So when we're in the church, nobody is outside of the accountability into authentic relationships, into wholehearted worship, into spirit-filled living. And right here, right now, Paul is calling out this man and saying, Stop faking it. Come into authentic accountability. And this is very different from a new believer, very different from a seeker. We'll come to that in just a second. What Paul is challenging is the hypocrisy of the church who are being really proud in their tolerance, in their liberalism, in their cultural accessibility, that they're trying to blend in with the world so much that they've forgotten the need to be distinct. And the Lord is saying through Paul, you've just become enslaved again. You're not distinct. Remember when Jesus said about salt and light, the people of God are meant to be salt to help people in the community. They're meant to be light, to shine in the darkness. They're meant to be the city on a hill, the blueprint, the template that the world can look at, the relationships in the church and say, that is what we want to copy. If the church is so busy being culturally tolerant and culturally normal amongst itself, we're no longer distinct. And our sex lives should be able to be distinct from the sex lives Of everybody in the world. Why? Because we're followers of Christ who love the Lord our God with our hearts and our souls and our minds and our bodies and our whole selves. We're set apart to be distinct. And like I said when I was speaking last month on wholehearted worship, we're so good at compartmentalizing work and faith. We're even better at compartmentalizing our sex lives. Because we're really not good at talking about it. Obviously, you can tell I don't have a problem talking about it. And some people, you know, are just very uncomfortable with the fact that we're doing this in church. But this is in the Word of God. Why? Because Jesus is interested in our sex lives. Now, the important thing, this man was to be removed from the hypocrisy and the lack of accountability in relationships. And he was meant to be sent out to be handed over to Satan. Now, that just sounds, oh, my gosh, that sounds awful, doesn't it? It's like, oh, my gosh, you're a sinner going to Satan. Okay, potentially, it's the kindest thing that could happen. Because the end bit was Paul saying, but then they will be saved. Why is it kind to stop faking it around people? Well, because then people can get to that beautiful place of rock bottom where we suddenly realize, oh, I really, really miss Jesus. I really miss fellowship with his people. I really miss connection and community and belonging into the body of Christ. I really miss bringing my other gifts into this community and receiving from other people. I just miss the being part of the family of God. What must I do, Jesus, to come into line with your kingdom? And that's like the rich man. He said, what must I do? And he said, well, you've really got to unhook yourself from all your self-independence and your self-sufficiency and get rid of some of that money. And when we hold to these things above Jesus, it's we just make each other comfortable. There's a thing that goes on for families of alcoholics and people who have an addiction, where the family has to recognize that you're enabling somebody's problem. And this is what Paul is challenging. He said, "You're enabling compromise." You're enabling somebody to go through life thinking they're following Jesus, but actually they're not. Stop lying to them. They deserve better. Step back. Separate from the pretense. Enable people to come to Jesus. But I know it feels really uncomfortable hearing this, and we're not about to banish everybody and do a survey on your sex lives and then work out who's leaving. Because one of the things... (laughs) One of the things that Jesus wants us to do is hold safe space. Safe space where people can explore that which tempts them, that which confuses them, that which draws them. Safe space to explore relationships, not in a place of sin, but in a place of question in a place of, Lord, I feel this for this person. Should I? Must I? Can I? What do I do? And create safe space. One of the things that Tim and I have always sought to do, and we've not always done this well, and we're getting better at not looking shocked. um, I think the first time one of these conversations came into our home, you know, somebody in the church, and by the way, I'm talking about people in the church over the years, and um, it's safe to say they're not in the room. They um, moving on with the Lord, but please don't suddenly, oh, I wonder who that was. We've been leading the church for a long time. You don't know them. Um, But anyway, there was um, somebody who was in our home talking about their BDSM habits. If you don't know what that is, I'm not explaining right now. But we're talking about their preferences for violence. This was a woman. Oh, never assume these things are just a male problem, as I heard that intake of breath. A woman was telling us, her preference for this violence against her in her sexual intimacy and this the desire for bondage and all of this this wrestle that she was going with and we held safe space while she explored it we held safe space for a man to share with us his For want of a better description, his trans interest, his love of wearing women's clothes and his love of the feeling of liberty when he explored that part of his sexuality, we held safe space for him. I held safe space for a man who sat with me and talked about, he didn't know whether he was straight or gay or bi. And he had all these attractions and he was being pulled in this community space. And he was like, "I, I just need to think out loud and process out loud. And it's like, this is a safe space. Because this is the space that Jesus drew as the circle when he pulled back all the stones. And he said, this is a safe space. And we must be a community that creates safe space. But we mustn't fake followership. Young people deserve us to model something that's good. Young people, you have permission to challenge hypocrisy. Challenge it, even if it's me and I'm all mouthy. Challenge it. Challenge hypocrisy. Challenge your parents and say, I don't understand how this is acceptable, but that's not. Let's ask these questions. Let's have robust questions, but let's create safe space. Why? Because young people are processing a huge amount And they're works in progress. And they're not meant to have arrived and have it all figured out. Because their adolescent brains are still being squished and shaped and neurons and adaptions and all these amazing things are going on in these incredible young people. And they're not meant to be a finished work. As frustrating as it is to parent them. We're meant to be, on the other hand. Wholehearted in worship. Young people can do that too to the best of their ability when their hormones are just about to flip out in five minutes. And it's okay. It's okay to lift holy hands and then to work out what you're not meant to be doing with your hands on another day. It's really okay. (laughs) Okay, I need to come into land. We need to create safe space to talk about this, but we also need to stop judging the world. The church, unfortunately, has got a terrible reputation. We have got a terrible reputation for pointing at the world, condemning the world, judging the world, tutting at the world, shame, shame, shame on you at the world. And we have created a hostile environment where anybody who's got a slightly different orientation or attraction cannot even feel the remotely welcome in the church because they think, oh my gosh, I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be stoned. I'm going to be condemned. I can't come and work my junk out because they're all perfect. We have to, church, stop judging the world and holding them to this book. Somebody in my world who is incredibly dear to me, incredibly dear to me, love this person to bits, and he's gay. And I was asked by other people I love, would you ever go to his wedding if he actually got weddings? Like, absolutely. Of course I would. I wouldn't do the marriage. I wouldn't put my gift on the line. But I would absolutely stand and support him. Why? Because I love him, and he's not holding to this book. But if he ever wants to talk about this book, I want all the bridges as open as possible, all the doors as wide as possible so that he can come into this place and discover Jesus for himself. And then Jesus will deal with all his junk in his timing according to what he wants to do in that person's life. Because to the best of my knowledge, I'm not sorted either. And you know that list? Well, okay, so some things maybe I don't do. I can definitely be greedy. And it's in the same list. So let's bring this into land. Paul is helping the Corinthians rid themselves of hypocrisy. Rid themselves of faking it rid themselves of tolerating and normalizing their own sin. And instead, he is reimagining for them that they can be distinct from the people of Corinth, from the people that they were enslaved in that context with. He is reimagining for them and with them to help them discover what it would be to live and become wholehearted in their worship. To become spirit-filled in their living, to grow in their authentic relationships. Now, our sexual relationships, they are part of our discipleship, and they need to be figured out as much as the job we have, the house we live in, how we spend our money, what we, how we treat our neighbors. Our sexual relationships are as much part of Of our discipleship as any other aspect of our discipleship. And Jesus says, You get to be distinct. You get to be salt and light. You get to be the city on a hill. You get to be set apart. So, the invitation for us in 2022, from how Paul challenged the church, is Will we be kinder to the world? more gracious to the world. Allow people to bring the world into church with them and hold safe space while we work out what is of the Lord's kingdom and what is of the world together. Safe space. We create safe space for our young people to not have it all sorted, to be okay to ask them questions, but I fancy this person. I had a boy come up to me in the summer. I was working with Dignify. We were working with um, Watford Football Club's Community Trust, and we were running loads of their programs with NCS. And I had a young boy come up to me. He asked me one of the best questions I've ever been asked by um, a young boy in the youth context that I'm serving in there. And he said, how do I ask a girl out without objectifying her? What a great question. Because he's got to fancy her. Like, you've got to fancy someone if you're going to go out with them. You're not going to go, you're really awful. I really feel sick when I look at you. Should we go out? (laughs) Like, you're going to really fancy someone. You've got to fancy them. So that means you've got to like the physicality. They're not going to like, you don't want to throw up. You want to get your hands on. So it's a really great question. But how can you do that without objectifying her? What a great question. Let's hold safe space for great questions. Will you be distinct? Will you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? And will you love your neighbor as yourself? Next week, we're going to be in the second half of 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to look at our sexualized narratives and what it would be to reimagine a sexualized narrative that brings glory to God. But today, will you love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind? Okay, I'm going to pray because he's just given me a hand sign that says pray. Normally it's like, get off. I'm going to pray, then you're going to make beautiful music to help us worship the Lord. No pressure. Where you are, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? I'm not going to be asking anyone to rush to the front. There are people here, if you want to talk, our leadership team, Tim, myself, Magd, David's not here. We've got other leaders here. Really happy to talk with you. Really happy if you want to email me during the week, questions. Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to thank you that you love us so much that you include in your scriptures every conversation we need to embrace. I thank you that you included sexual relationships in your book, and we get to talk about it because it's in your book and you want us to talk about it. I thank you that your book is filled with people who got it wrong and filled with your grace to redeem and restore and rescue and realign and bring us into intimate relationship with you in order that our intimate relationships with others can be healthier. And Holy Spirit, I simply ask you, would you help us love you with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds? And would you help us to know and understand what it is to then love others? as ourselves. And Lord, for those people who have been hurt, who have been condemned, Lord, would you convict us if we've been part of that and help us to grow and mature away from that? And would you heal those who have been hurt? And Lord, would this church continue to expand our safe spaces for safe conversation, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.